Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you again today for joining us on the program and uh, for following us on a weekly basis as we uh, continue to unpack probably some very difficult things and because they're mind challenging. You know, some of the things, I got a real sweet letter uh, from a pastor, won't mention his name for uh, just to protect him, but he told me that, uh, he said, he just encouraged me, he said, I want you to, you know, thank you for having the guts to say on the air what many of us already believe. And he said, uh, you know, I, I've seen many of these things for years and just uh, uh, jeopardized even my, uh, my college degree because I would not give them the answers that they wanted me to give because as I began to research this, I found that uh, there were so many different things. He said, the first thing that happened to me was I got angry. And I believe that, that's, let, let me just tell you, that was my response as well. The first time I heard some of the things that I'm sharing with you, in all fairness, it made me mad. And I thought I was mad at the guy telling me these things, and I wanted to call him a heretic and, you know, kind of deny it was true. But it got in my spirit, and I realized there's something true about this. And, and, uh, but the first reaction a lot of times that when you hear something that is different than you have ever thought before, that your first reaction is to just get mad and you can ignore it or discard it or marginalize it. But then the Spirit of the Lord begins to wake up something in you. And to me, I don't know why people would not be excited about what we're sharing. And, and there is a great matter of fact, uh, our response levels are very positive. Ninety some percent are positive. We get a few folks that don't agree with us, but it doesn't matter what you teach. Somebody's going to love you and somebody's going to hate you. And so we're uh, not moved by the crowd. We're here because we believe this is what we were born to do. And uh, when we uh, begin to share these things, it starts to wake something up within you. And uh, then I believe it, it causes you to say, you know what, there's a great hope. Because I think when you really look into what we're saying, what we're really trying to tell you is that what most people think is coming hell on earth is not in your future. It's in your past. Uh, we're trying to help you understand how the eschatology of grace helps you fit together when you find scriptures in the book of the Bible through the New Testament that are talking about impending wrath and judgment that's coming, that you clearly understand that those judgments were coming upon an apostate Israel and a people who were in the final days of an old covenant. The reason these impending judgments were coming was not because God had not offered them mercy or redemption from the curse of the law, but because they rejected their Messiah. They did re in other words, a lot of the catastrophes, the judgments, the vials that are poured out in the book of Revelation are the ones that Deuteronomy says, if you don't obey all the words of this law, these curses will come upon you. They are the same plagues that came upon Egypt. You, you notice a striking resemblance to blood in the water, uh, you know, flies, different things that you see happening in the book of Exodus, happening in the book of Revelation. And he says to the children of Israel under the law, if you do not obey all the words of this law, then all of these plagues will come upon you. Now God gives them a way out, both in Egypt, and that is by putting the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their house. That was an old covenant picture of a new covenant, Jesus, who would become the Lamb of God, who if we would put the blood on the doorpost of our houses, that these plagues would not come nigh our dwelling. So for the believer, the book of Re Revelation is the song of redemption for us. 
because it's what we've been redeemed from, the curses of the law, and it's what we've been brought out of so that we can rejoice that we've not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation so that when you see all these things, you can lift up your head and know your redemption draws nigh. The word redemption doesn't mean your flight's coming. It means that redemption that God promised to humanity and a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time was about to come upon them during that time because the last time was during that time period as we've already established in over 50 or 60 programs. So the salvation that was about to be revealed in the last time, there was a salvation. I mean, in the end of the book of Revelation, they're not full of doom and despair. They start to holler and shout, Hallelujah! Now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. And it was on the heels of a great harlot, Babylon, which I believe, and we'll show you in some, for, in some coming programs, that this great harlot was apostate Israel who had played the harlot, just like in the book of Hosea, uh, they played the harlot on God and went chasing and whoring after other gods and were drunk upon the blood of the saints and the martyrs. You can see that in Matthew 23. Jesus said, Upon you will come the blood of all the righteous martyrs, from the blood of Zacharias to the blood of righteous Abel. And, and, and uh, so uh, that, that was the nation drunken with the blood of the saints. But as soon as they are judged and as soon as Babylon is fallen, is fallen the shout of glory comes up and says, Now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ, for the bride has made herself ready. And hallelujah, now has come salvation. That's the key thought that we've been redeemed from. I want to get into this in the seventh chapter again of the book of Revelation. Let's try to conclude the seventh chapter so that we can start with the sounding of trumpets in our next segment. But it says in chapter 7, verse 1, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor in any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Reuben 12,000, Gad 12,000, Asher 12,000, Naphtali 12,000, Manasseh 12,000, Simeon 12,000, tribe of Levi 12,000, Issachar 12,000, Zebulun 12,000, Joseph 12,000, Benjamin 12,000. We got all of that, and I think we covered that pretty good in the last two segments, that this was not dealing with a natural Israel alone because it starts with the tribe of Judah, and that would bake, break, uh, you know, uh, 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 Old Testament precedents that would always list the firstborn first. And the firstborn of the natural seed was Reuben. The firstborn of the spiritual seed is Judah. And that was the seed to whom God made the promise to in Abraham, not to seeds as of many, but one seed, which is Christ. And that seed was Christ, and to him was the promise made and that he would be the one that would receive the inheritance and then distribute the inheritance to the rest of the family. And it is in Christ that you and I have access to this grace and that you and I are part of the seed of Abraham through faith. So we dealt with all that. I'm after the next part of this. This is after this. Lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues, stood before the thrown in before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And this ought to be good news in the sense that, you know, we have this many times remnant mentality of people. We think there's only going to be a few 
people saved. I believe the remnant, what it's dealing with, is the remnant out of the natural seed of Israel that God had always preserved a remnant, which were believers that were part of this whole uh, spiritual seed of Abraham, no matter what their lineage was, they were the believers that were from uh, the, the natural seed. That's the remnant, I believe, that God was talking about here, uh, or God was talking about through the book of Revelation. So we get this remnant mentality, and we think, well, you know, there's only a few people going to make it. But this is encouraging to me because John says this, I saw a multitude that no man can number. That's good news to me. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne clothed with white robes with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and under the Lamb. They're singing the song of salvation out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, because upon the end of all of this pouring out of wrath and judgment that came upon natural apostate Israel, God was about to give birth to all the nations of the earth being brought in and the Gentiles being included into the covenants of promise. And there was a loud voice that says, uh, Amen, blessing, glory. Let me, I lost my place, I'm sorry. They cried with a loud voice, verse 10, saying, Salvation our God which sits upon the throne under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And he said, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. Now let me say to you that these are they which came out of great tribulation. If you will go back and, and take a look at, uh, there were nine programs that Dr. John Noe and I did just about eight or nine weeks ago. Uh, they are archived on our YouTube. I think they might even be listed as Dr. John Noe and Dr. Lynn Hiles together. We talked about the timeline. And we showed you that the great tribulation that Jesus prophesied about in Matthew 24, there will be great tribulation such as was not since the world began or will ever be again. And he spoke of a great tribulation would occur during the end of that last three and a half years or during that period of time uh, from, from the end of uh, about from about 66 A.D. to 70 A.D. was a period that you could call the Great Tribulation. That was Daniel's second time prophecy where he talked about tribulation such as was not. In other words, these are not people who are coming out of some great future tribulation. These are people who came out of that particular season that were blood-bought, been persecuted, been martyred, been sawn asunder, uh, hidden caves, dens of the rocks. Read the books of Fox's Book of Martyrs and see some of the horrific things that happened to believers back during that time. I'm not saying that there's not things happening now to believers who are being persecuted like that in other countries, which we ought to deeply pray for. I know things going on right now to believers that are being persecuted in countries that are not free to worship like we are 
and they are going through some tribulation. But this great tribulation he talked about was that there were those that were coming out of that great tribulation that are standing before God saying, these things are not in front of us, they're behind us, now has come salvation. We're not in an old covenant, we're in a new covenant, we've been redeemed, salvation is ours and it is now available. And they sing the song of redemption because there was a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time and that salvation that was ready to be revealed was one that was being offered to both Jew and Gentile because the power of the holy people had finally been broken. Their exclusive right to God and their relationship through their temple and through uh, their uh, sacrificial system was finally dismantled and now uh, there was brought into this both Jew and Gentile into the covenants of promise. That was a salvation that was being revealed. That was a mystery that was hid from ages, which was Christ in and among even the Gentiles which was the hope of glory. Now, he goes on to say concerning them, and I, I want to I get this. This is probably what we're going to touch. He said, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits among the throne, uh, he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. I want you to note a couple of things. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. With that thought, I want you to go back and listen to one of the first sermons that Jesus ever taught in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, where it talks about the Beatitudes. This is Jesus' famous teaching on the Mount of Olives. And to me, uh, when I think about this, I think that many of the things that we could talk about, his Olivet Discourse, his Sermon on the Mount, all of this happened in the Mount of Olives. I believe it's in fulfillment of what Zechariah prophesied, his feet shall touch the Mount of Olives and the mountain shall cleave in two. I don't think it physically departed in two, but I think it was the, the pivotal point of which the Old Covenant and the New Covenant were divided. In other words, Jesus is introducing this new covenant. He's declaring and prophesying concerning the coming of this new covenant. And when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, uh, they were come to him, and, and, and he seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That to me does not mean we walk around with our heads down saying, woe is me. But what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, is that those who under an old covenant who realized the spiritual deficit that they were in, if you recognize that, he's trying to get them introduced to the concept that if you can realize what a spiritual deficit you were in under the old covenant, that that would put you in a position to be hungry for the kingdom and you would receive what would replace the law or the government of the law would be called the kingdom of God. And it was at hand during this period of time. Then he would say, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, in other words, you mourn under the old covenant, and the new covenant you've received the comforter. Under the old covenant, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, blessed are those who have brought themselves to the place. Meekness does not mean that, uh, uh, you know, somebody said, well, one time I heard somebody uh, that was saying, I never knew what Jesus meant when he said the meek will inherit the earth. He said, I think that means the wimps or the sissies are going to get it or whatever you want to term them. But the truth of it is that if that's the case, Jesus is saying then blessed then are these wimps or these sissies or whatever you want to call them. 
No, when, when, see, because they don't fit their eschatology, they have to twist that and make it. What the scripture means is the meek will inherit the earth. That simply means that you've come to a place where you realize there's somebody greater than I am and that you, you, you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God and there's a people that are going to inherit the earth. That's, that's a promise that's in your copy of the will. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Remember what he just said in Revelation chapter 7, they shall hunger no more. Because under the old covenant, you hunger. But in the new covenant, you don't have to hunger anymore. You're going to be filled. He goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These people in Revelation chapter 17 are inheriting what Jesus said was the blessings of the kingdom. They were receiving no more hunger. They were receiving peace. They were receiving righteousness. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth but if the salt has lost its savor wherewith shall be salted. It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it gives life to to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is introducing what I believe is part of the constitution of the kingdom. He's introducing what he calls the Beatitudes. What's a Beatitude, Brother House? It's an attitude you need to be in. And what these attitudes do, these Beatitudes, and I think what we're trying to do today is just get an attitude adjustment. Because what he's trying to shift us from is an old covenant attitude to a new covenant attitude. Because he's simply introducing to them and saying, you know what, under the old covenant you were hungry for righteousness, but in the new covenant it's a gift and you're going to be filled. Uh, the Lamb is going to give you light. You're going to, you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, the, do you see the resemblance in chapter 7? The Lamb that's in the midst of them shall feed them, shall lead them to living fountains of water. He'll be the light in the midst of them. He'll be the light in the midst of the city. Let me also show you this uh, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. I have a series that I did on this uh, 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 on chapter 2 of uh, let me just see if I can find it real quick here I believe it's the end of chapter 2 oh no it's just the beginning of chapter 3 it says to everything this is the book of Ecclesiastes well, let me just say to you by way of introduction that when, when Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes it is the vanity of vanities it's about living life under the sun. I'm glad that's not the only book he wrote. He wrote the Song of Solomon, which was not about life under the sun. It was about life in the sun. And it was not about life under the heavens. It was about living life in the heavenlies. And so you can live in the book of Ecclesiastes or you can live in the book of the Song of Solomon. I can say it like this. Ecclesiastes is old covenant concepts. Song of Solomon is new covenant concepts. In the Old Covenant, or if you will, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, let me just read this, and then I'll try to uh, bring this segment to an end with this. It says, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time of love and a time of to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit has a man, uh, uh, what profit hath he that worketh in all that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercising. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world, this is literally the Hebrew word olam, the age in their hearts so that they cannot find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. And I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. For God does it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be has already been, and God requires that which is past. And moreover, I saw under the sun, the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, and there's a time there for every purpose and every work. Now, I want you to see something. I, I really begin to open this, and I, I have a series. I'm not going to be able to do it real justice here in the next few minutes, but in Ecclesiastes, I begin to really see that God said here that He has put the olam in their hearts. That is the age. And under the old covenant, what he's showing them is that if you are living life under the sun, there is a time to live and time to die. There is a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's a time to rend, a time to sow. There's a time of love, time to hate, time of war, time of peace. A time to gather stones, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. What I begin to see is, is if you're stuck in an old covenant paradigm, you're living in a time of war, you're living in a time of weeping. You're living in a time of, 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 of mourning. You're living in a time of losing. You're living in a time of rending. You're living in a time to keep silent. You're living in a time of hate. You're living in a time of uh, uh, time to kill. You're, uh, uh, in other words, everything about this shows you you're either living in an old covenant paradigm or a new covenant paradigm. Because once you step into God's time, God's time, everything is beautiful in His time. And what God's moment is, when we step into God's moment and into God's time, is that what God does <coughs> has always been forever. And He says that here's the deal. He said what has been is what's going to be and what is uh, going to be is determined by that which has been. Say it another way. Your future is determined by coming to an understanding of what God already finished from the beginning to the end. And what God finished from the beginning to the end was the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And what Jesus did in His finished work uh, was He let us see that what God done has always been forever, and God does it. But if you step out of uh, this old covenant time slot into this new covenant time, Hallelujah. When you step into God's moment, what happens is, is you're going to find out when you move from an old covenant to a new covenant. You move from the olam or the age that was in your heart of the old covenant that keeps you bound to an old covenant mentality. You're going to find out, I don't have time to lose. I don't have time to hate. I don't have time for war. I don't have time for Morning. God is wiping every tear from every eye because we're not living under an old covenant paradigm. I submit to you that that's what's wiping the tears from their eyes in Revelation chapter 7. They shall sorrow no more. 
They'll mourn no more. I'm telling you, Revelation 21, he said, God shall wipe all tears off of all faces. Let me tell you what that is. It's an understanding of people that have been redeemed from the curse and saying, we have stepped into God's time. We have stepped into the moment that God determined from before the foundation of the earth, a moment to release salvation where I don't have time for hating. Hallelujah. I'm about to get ready to preach here. I, I, I don't have time for war because under the new covenant, I beat my sword and weapon into a plowshare. I don't learn war anymore. My warfare is accomplished. Jesus has won the victory. I don't have time for hate because I have a God of love. I don't have time for mourning because blessed are they that mourn under the old covenant for they're about to be comforted in the New Testament. Uh, blessed are those who, I don't have time uh, to gather stones because uh, the stone of the law has already been cast away. I don't have time to, infrain, to refrain from embracing because because of God, I can embrace people who I couldn't embrace before. Uh, I don't have time to lose. I've only got time to gain. I don't have time uh, to rend. I've only got time to sow. I, I, I don't, it's not time now. Well, if I was under the old covenant, I needed to, have, to live in a time to keep silent, but now it's not a time to keep silent. It's a time to preach. It's a time to speak. It's a time to love and not a time to hate. It's a time for peace because there's a gospel of peace. Uh, it's time now to sow uh, and, 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 and to reap some things. It is a season that we're living in now that we've stepped out of the old covenant age or olam and we've discovered what God has done from the beginning to the end. I believe that's the reason we can look back at Revelation, the seventh chapter, and say God has wiped every tear from off of every face. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying. I'm going to tell you, you might come to a place where you just don't got time to die. You don't have time for war. Boy, somebody grab this today in your spirit, even in your families. You don't got time for war. You've only got time for peace. We don't have time to hate people who are not exactly like us. It's time to embrace. It's time to love. It's time to let a See, our, our whole problem is we get confused between old covenant and new covenant paradigms, and one minute we want to hate, one minute we want to love. But I'm telling you, in the new covenant, we've only got time for love. We've only got time for peace. We don't have time to mourn. We don't have time to hate. God will feed them. They'll hunger no more. They'll be filled with the righteousness. Living waters will flow to them as God brings them into this understanding that as one covenant passes off the scene, another one comes on the scene. That's those who've come out of great tribulation and they're standing before the throne of God fulfilled. We are out of time. I trust I made sense trying to jam that in there. God bless you. Take a moment to call that number on the seat, screen and sow a seat into the ministry. Become a partner with us today. Help us take the gospel around the world. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.